welcome to Kingdom Quest episode 230. I'm your host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always. Uh, investigating a disappearance in a small Colorado town, David Kearney, Penguin Master. <laughs> and uh, working at some kingdom building in a fantasy world, uh, Michael Baker, Gaijin and Nogatari. We've all been busy, haven't we? <laughs> yes, we have. Uh, so who wants to start by talking about what they've been playing? Ooh, ooh probably not me, because I can't really talk about what I'm playing without massive spoilers. Mysterious. <laughs> well, I can, but somebody else go first anyway. Okay, Would well... you like you guys when you were gone last week? Yeah, I've been playing Nino Kuni 2 on Switch for the last two weeks. Which has been fun. Um, and, uh... Got to the, got to all the kingdom building stuff, which includes things like research projects and timers. And uh, guess what the games in and the game's timer does not work well with. Mm, sleep sleep mode? mode. Sleep mode, which is why um, do not believe it when it says I have two hundred thirty hours on the clock right now. <laughs> yeah, that seems unlikely. But on the plus side, that means that I'm pretty much cheesing a lot of the kingdom building stuff. <laughs> well, that's like, good. Wait, go do stuff? No, I can just put on sleep mode and go do other things, and I come back and, hey, I've got money. Yeah. So. Mm. Uh, the only big issue is that my uh, power cord has been tripped over so many times that it no longer actually fits well in the Switch. Yeah. On the plus side, it does still fit in my laptop, which is what I've been mainly using it for and why it has been tripped over so many times. Mm. So, uh, and as it turns out, spare Nintendo Switch power cords are much easier to come by than spare, uh, whatever this is, um, spare Lenovo power cords. <laughs> so, something I found out when my... Uh, my original power cord for this computer just decided to die mm -hmm. a year and a half ago. Well, so, at yeah, least you'll be in power cords for the next few years. Yeah, busy looking through eBay trying to find, uh, find anyone that would actually sell me a Lenovo power cord because, surprise, surprise, none of the electronic stores will sell power cords without the laptops. And then I found one, and it's like, okay, it's the right size, it's the right format, it's Compatible with this, 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 and Nintendo Switch. Mm -hmm. What? Huh? So I just go into the other room, get the power cord off my Switch, plug it in, and lo, it works. I'm like, okay. <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah. Well, so Switch, Switch is just like USB-C or something, isn't it? It's a non-standard yeah. implementation of USB-C. Okay. Exactly. Like it was devised before the standard was fully locked down. Which is why there are a lot of things that, like, technically have USB-C chargers, but they don't supply quite enough power for the Switch. That sort of thing. Yeah, my first attempt to replace it involved a, uh, what's actually an iPhone charger, um, which does not have the voltage to actually do anything as long as something's powered up. So, so it, will act it can actually charge my Switch on sleep mode. That's it. Hmm. Yep. 
Also, um, hello to Funnet Man, and yes, this is Slave Spider. But yeah, so how's the Revenant Kingdom for you? Is that what it's called? My brain's saying Revenant Kingdom. Revenant Kingdom, yeah. Well, I mean, it's cute. It's different. It's quite different from the first game. Either of the first game. Like for the best. I mean, for the best in terms of the PlayStation 2, I mean... I'm missing the variety of critters for the from the DS version. Hmm. Yeah. And um, otherwise, the from the, just from a game uh, gameplay standpoint, it's reminding me a lot of the Tales game. Hmm. Lots of running around, lots of just whacking stuff. And oh, I do like that. whacking things. Yeah. Finally, a game for me. <laughs> And just kind of a cute, light fantasy JRPG story. It starts off with a bloody coup. So, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like uh, level 5. Yep. Hey, level 5 will go straight from, hey, the our soccer team is winning the, the local championships to, oh no, there's an alien invasion. <laughs> oh no, soccer in space! Yeah, that yes. sounds pretty fun, actually. That was a ridiculous segue of a plot, but yeah. <laughs> also, happy birthday, Funnet Man. Happy birthday! Let's see. Um, so yeah, sounds like good, but not a lot commentary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a fun game. It's yeah. definitely not the worst game I've played this year. What would that be? Xena Reborn oh, this year. Yeah. What's that? No, Xena Reborn was last year. Yeah, okay. Um, oh, okay. No, I mean, specifically the worst game I played this year was probably also the worst game I've ever played, period. Damn. Which one was I mean, that again? I, I did the impression for April Fool's Day because that was the only day I could really think it would do justice. Ah. <sighs> Bravely Default? Nope, it was, um, the English title is translated as Stargazer Hoshio Miruhito. Oh, Hoshio Miruhito, I forgot you played that. The the game that actually makes your, your, um, if you went to an RPG Maker forum and just randomly picked some project that had not been touched in, or had not been updated in three years and only had, like, one person working on it, that game would still be better. Wow. Then Hoshio Miruhito. It's, uh, Hoshio Miruhito that's not even successful. Like, the tile set isn't implemented properly. Like, it is... Yeah, um, I mean, my impression was like, at the very start, I was like, yes, um, any any article you will ever read on this game will, will list the following issues, and each of them is absolutely true, and then there's this long list of game-breaking bugs. Yeah, like, that's a game where you can, like... You can't back out of a menu once you enter it, so you can put yourself in a situation where it's like, well, this character's turn is useless because there is nothing in this menu they can actually do. Yeah, that was um, one one of the few improvements made in the Switch port was that there's a um, there's a rewind button. Oh yes, yes. So that's like having <laughs> having that option. <laughs> oh, even better, you can rewind yourself out of a battle. Which is probably the much better choice. You can rewind yourself out of a character death. You can just rewind. You could hold down the button and rewind yourself all the way to the beginning of the game. 
Jesus. Oh, for for another uh, indication of how poorly implemented this game is, wheels. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't actually display the last digit of any like health bar. Oh. Yeah. Yes. In in battle at the very start, it's like, oh, my he hero's got five hit points. I get hit for twelve hit points. Crap. Wait a minute. Why did it only go down one or two? Yeah. Turns out that your character has fifty hit points at the start. Yeah, so it's a, it's a land of confusion in that battle system. But even better, even better, exiting any particular um, location to the world map will take you back to a spot that is probably not next to where you just left. Yeah. Like also, a bunch of zones are invincible are invisible. Yeah, uh, half the locations on the map, if you exit them, will take you right back um, to a tile right next to the hidden first town of the game. Yeah. Which sounds it's like it's probably what it does when it doesn't know where to put you. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, just one of those things. It's like, oh, it turns out when it was... The certain parts of the Wild West days of the Famicom just allowed you to release whatever. Mm hmm. And that was also published by Hot B, which perplexingly. Hot B right? uh, is, at least in one of their logos, an acronym, mm -hmm. which is implied to stand for He is Over There because. No, I don't know why. We need to know. Pretty. Wheels, do you want to try to talk about something without spoiling? Yes, I would like to talk about the dreads of Metroids. Um, it is. It is incredibly good. Um, stupendously good. Uh, with lots of surprises, and um, I will try to just talk about the mechanics because um, there are cool things that happen that I don't really want to spoil. Um, uh, but it is very fast. If you've played uh, Samus Returns, the remake of Metroid 2, a lot of things will feel somewhat familiar. Um, but they just do a lot better job of really everything in this game um you know partly due to being on a better controller but um yeah it's it's uh it's a very good metroid game there's lots to explore lots of little power-ups to find it's a very big map uh the map looking at the map itself is excellent because uh you can hover over like a locked door and if it's something if you have what it needs, what opens it? What opens it? It just says it, and if you don't, and you don't, it'll just be question marks. But That's then, very but then once you get like, but so you'll kind of have it in your mind when you get whatever it is that actually opens that where some of those doors were, and you can kind of make your uh, way back through it. But um, it does. It's done a lot of cool things as I've gone through, like um, certain pass pathways will change a bit as you unlock things and you have to kind of find new ways to get back to other areas. Um, Seems like it has a different and a diff 
a more robust shakeup of the power up. Yes. It's typical for most new Metroids at this stage. Uh, the boss fights have been really good. A lot of times it feels like, wow, this seems impossible. And then you just calm down, learn the patterns, and they're not only a lot of fun, but they feel extremely satisfying when you beat them. So uh, it's it's been extremely addicting. And... Um, you know, it's going to take, it's one of those games where it's going to take playing through it probably a bunch of times to try and get a full feel for, like, how good this is. But this is already up there in terms of, like, my games of the year. It's, and I haven't even finished it. It's it's just, like, that good. Uh, you, you can tell that um, the development team learned a lot working on Samus Returns, which is a remake I really like a lot, but... Um, Clearly a rookie effort. Yeah, I I don't want to bash it too much because, like I said, it's it's a game I like a lot, and it has to do a lot with not too much because obviously Metroid Two was somewhat of a bare bones game. Um, but you know, clearly here they're they've got since they're, it's a brand new game, they've got a lot more uh, leeway, and it's. Uh, it's just been great, just like how fast Samus moves and the way and the s sequences where you're running away from the robot and how they can like s slide under ledges. Uh, it feels as cool as it looked in all the trailers. Um, and uh, I'm already hoping that they get, If assuming these developers want to make more, I hope they get to because... Uh, I was very much a proponent of, you know, I'm kind of seeing as much as I want from 2D Metroid, and I just want more Prime, because I feel like there's a lot there that, there's a lot more to expand on there than there is 2D, and this kind of changed my opinion on that, to be honest. Like, I, I would be perfectly fine with more 2D Metroid, and it's, yeah... And I mean, Fred seems to be selling well, so. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure people have seen a lot of weird negative discourse out there. And, you know, I was thinking a lot about this. It just. Super Metroid is just this weird, like, casts this weird shadow in the eyes of people that have played it way too much on anything else with the Metroid name. And that's really not fair because it's a series that's aside from some weird side games and um, a Wii game we won't mention um, it's been a pretty consistently extremely good series like you know just talking about review scores you look at the review scores for like Metroid the Metroid Prime series they're way up there it's just been this really excellent series and um, this is clearly a game worthy of the the Metroid 5 title. So, um, if you like Metroid, I can't recommend it enough. Um, it's it's that damn good. And I hope <laughs> some of the curmudgeons will come around to it eventually, because it's really good. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's about as much as I can say without spoiling you know it's metroid so the story isn't super deep but i just feel like um this is worth experience yeah it's worth experiencing and this is like the first we've gotten 
any Metroid game that takes place after Fusion after all these years, so I don't really don't want to ruin anything at all. So I'm not going to say anything. Please play it. It's totally worth it. Um, I would pay $80 to play it. The, the discourse out there that $60 is too much for this game is total shit. To be honest. I think you, you paid much more than eighty dollars to play. Yes, that's not that's not the point. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I have I have paid more for games that are much worse than this. It's well, super dope. Points out that it's um, a bit slim pickings for games of the year this year. Which eh, we'll see. Uh, I totally disagree. Absolutely, hmm. extremely disagree. We've had two extremely good monster hunters. We've had Roger's something he mentioned. Yeah, we've had Tails. Uh, we've had what the hell else? There's a lot. There's a lot earlier in the year. Um, Don't let me. Uh, the world ends Oops. with you, Neo, or Neo. The world ends with you. Yeah, backwards. I'm a dope and would probably be willing to put Great Edge Attorney Chronicles yeah. on my game of the year list. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Monster Hunter Rise is definitely my RPG of the year, but I think pretty sure Dread is going to end up my overall game of the year. Interesting. Yeah, it's... Yeah. I mean, it's to the point where it's already... Um, so, true story. I love Blood... Mm -hmm. Love uh, Bloodborne. Um, Bloodstained. I'm mm -hmm. back doing Kickstarter. Enjoy the heck out of it. Haven't beaten Wonderful. it. Haven't what? beaten it. Nope. I'll fight you. Uh, they were just bloodstained. Yes, just Ritual because of the night. it was just the case where it's just like I love this game. I'm just not in the mood for this sort of game right now. And as soon as I finish Dread, I'm jumping right into that because I can already feel like I'm going to be in like a Metroidvania mood after this. So okay, good. I was going to say you sent you. me a, you sent me a copy of Bloodstained last year, I and did, so I actually yes. managed to beat it sooner than you did. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I think you and Budai are going to have to have a fist. This year is lousy for games. games. All right, hold on. All right, someone else talk for a minute. I'm going to get a list of releases, and we're going to... No, we're not doing that. Um, we're doing this. We're doing okay. this. Oh, well, I mean, it's okay. Let's see, my next big gummy, Tensei, coming out next month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, some D5 is going to be big. Yeah. Uh, but he also mentioned that one. And, um, I mean, uh, on our review codes list, we just had um, The Good Life come up on Switch, which I'm very interested in, but I... I'm currently in the middle of Nino Kuni, and I don't want to be mooching off any more review code, the current one. Yeah, I need to actually uh, get my uh, good life code that I got back in Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, very interested in that one. So, um, hopefully. Okay. Yeah. And um, I've got a... <laughs> I've got a sort of editorial in the works for the website right now. Nice. need to get that edited. That'll yeah. Yeah, just because I, I played a game this summer which honestly should be considered an RPG, except it somehow does not manage to be an RPG, despite having a long list of features that you would normally associate with RPGs. So, Exciting. Yep. And so just due to the nature of the game itself, I've managed to come up with some really good, with a really good metaphor to describe trying to define how to, to define an RPG. Mm -hmm. So... See, East Nine um, came out this year. Oh yeah, that's a game. Uh, I going to say something. Else. You mind if I uh, go off on the game that I've been playing? Yes, proceed. Sure, sure. 
So recently, I decided to finally crack into the fan translation of Human Entertainment's Mazurna Falls, which is uh, it's a title. Uh, so is a adventure game for the PlayStation One. Uh, Human, Human made a lot of so Human Entertainment. For those who don't know, it's a company that folded in about two thousand. Uh, they made. They, they started making games in, like, 1983. They were very early Famicom developers in a lot of uh, uh, contract games. But Human Entertainment uh, did a lot of adventure games, and they did the Fire Pro Wrestling series. So uh, they did stuff like uh, Twilight Syndrome and Clock Tower, uh, in addition to things like games with titles like Six Man Scramble or whatever. But, but uh, Mizarna Falls is... Probably their most ambitious adventure game because it is a 1998 PS1 game that is open world and entirely on a time. Huh. Okay, it's, that uh, sounds like a really biz not not bizarre, but just unfortunate combination of things to be putting on a first or second generation PlayStation One game. It's impressive in that it works. Like it, it's not a game that is easy to. Run at all because it's actually really really punishing but it is a very impressive object uh like it the open world is relatively restrained but like you actually are you know able to drive around and walk around and like you'll find you'll see pedestrians and like small amounts of traffic but like your actual like day like moment to moment gameplay is you go around you talk to people because like like the premise is that your character is a high school senior who one of his uh one of his friends has uh been reported as a missing person case uh he finds out about this because he's uh contacted as the last person seen with her uh then shortly afterwards someone else who was uh there the previous night when she disappeared is found injured and then dies shortly afterwards. So it suddenly becomes very important to try to find her before, like, something horrible happens to her. And you're just sort of, like, talking to people to uh, get a better grasp of what happened. Uh, the Like I said, the entire game is on a timer, which means that, like, yesterday when I was messing around with it, I found, like, a town notice board and realized that there was, like, like the immediate assumption that people in the town have about the girl who died is that she was attacked by a bear and i found that uh on the town notice board there was a oh hey at 3 30 p.m today we're all going to get together and scour the forest to try to see if there were any bear attacks there. uh so like you know you get together and form the bear patrol or whatever. but the point is like i realized this when i was looking at a notice board at 5 p.m hmm so, you know, a lot of... The game very much expects you, I think, to... Uh, to get bad... To get the bad ending, where you don't solve the mystery. Uh, at least in part to figure out where everything is. But it's, it's full of very strange details. Uh, like I said, you can... You can and must drive around. Your car can get uh, caught on things or run out of gas... Uh, there actually is not a money system, even though several things in the game, like, show, uh, dollar values, like, you have to get gas, but that's really more just a thing to force you to, like, use time. 
which is pretty mean of it. But it, it's a very strange game that it's it's hard to describe how odd it is to see this kind of game attempted on the PS1. And like it's it's a fairly compelling Twin Peaksy sort of story. Uh, can't say that I finished it yet because I mean obviously, like I said, it's an extremely punishing game that uh, expects you to uh, learn the layout of the town and. Uh, figure out who can give you information so you can be moving very efficiently from a run where you actually get the good ending. But, you know, it's it's very interesting. It's reasonably well-written, and uh, it's just utterly fascinating to actually play such a strange object. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's been fun. Uh, like, I also played a little bit of the PS2 Dororo game, which was kind of an interesting little game, No, if anyone ever played that. Which one? Uh, the PS2 Dororo game. Dororo? Yeah, Osama Tezuka's Dororo. Oh, okay. It was like, first thing I thought of the Dororo was a character from Sergeant Frog. <laughs> that makes sense, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, uh, somewhat explicably retitled in the U.S., well, only somewhat explicably, because the new title sucks too, but uh, somewhat explicably retitled in the U.S. as Blood Will Tell. I assume that Sega thought that that would sound tougher when they brought it over. But uh, anyone unfamiliar with that particular uh, work of Osamu Tezuka's, it is a story about a dude who's dead uh, prior to his birth, sells the majority of his body parts to 48 different demons. Huh. No. Uh, and uh, it's not then... the usual Osamatezuka stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah, from what I can tell, this was like made during the period when Gekiga was sort of coming into fashion. So this was kind of his more dramatic work. But I mean, he did uh, like at least hundred different stories. So I mean, mm -hmm. be something weird going on. But yeah, Dororo. Uh, so like Yakimaru here is uh, basically in a position where. Uh, his horrible, like, missing almost all of its parts baby corpse is, like, sent down the river in a barrel. A kindly doctor finds it, starts crafting prosthetics for him. Uh, and so almost all of his parts are some sort of prosthetics. He's got, like, swords in his arms and some other much more anachronistic things, like he's got uh, a machine gun uh, in one arm and a rocket launcher in his knee for some reason. But uh, it's cool. Yeah, basically. Uh, but basically, the you know the idea is that when he kills one of the demons that has his body parts, they spontaneously regrow within him. And the game uses this as sort of. Uh, it, it's it's also worth noting the manga Dororo does not have like a satisfying conclusion. The magazine it was in, like, I can't remember if the magazine itself was cancelled or if just the manga was cancelled, but basically, like, the manga was uh, incomplete and then has, like, a rushed ending in the original manga where it just says, and then he spent 50 years doing this. Uh, <laughs> so, essentially every adaptation of it, like, chucks that ending in the bin and comes up with a new one. Uh, but that also means that there are tons of body parts. One, it never uh, actually... Uh, canonized what body parts he's missing. And two, it never fully, like, uh, 
showed him getting all of them back. So that means this adaptation has a lot of options for how to do that. And the way that they went about this was that there are a bunch of demons that you have to fight as part of the critical story path. But there's also a bunch of them that are just hidden in the environment. And if you can find them, you will get like smaller or weirder body parts back. So like I fought one of them and got, uh, th this barely even counts the body part. I don't know why this was uh, labeled as a body part, but I got my platelets back. Uh, huh. which improves health recovery. As it would, yes. So you get all of those, but then, like, the major, like, one of the first story boss fights gets you your left leg back, and when that happens, you're able to actually dash rather than the, like, dog that he normally moves in. Or, uh, the very first, like, non to the very, the end of the tutorial has you, uh, get your left eye back, and, uh, the... The uh, way that that's represented is that the tutorial is presented in black and white, like the original manga and the first anime series uh, from 1969. So uh, when you get your left eye back, suddenly the game is finally in color. Which is now that's a nice. Say okay. what? Now that's a nice little... Yeah, it's a good touch. Uh, but yeah, like the, the game's interesting because like you... Like, I ran into a boss that uh, has something of mine, but I can't beat it. It's way too strong. Uh, you can, But you can go back to prior areas very quickly, so it's not a problem if you run into one as long as you remember where it is. If you finish a chapter and then go back to that chapter to find more of them, the game will actually tell you how many demons are still in there. But yeah, like, the game has 48 of these. They are all seemingly unique fights. It's a, it's a very impressive little licensed game that... Uh, at least in the U.S., no one really played. So I've been I've been having a fun time with that. It's it's got uh, very light action RPG elements because like every body part also comes with a consonant stat increase unless it's part of a system that isn't yet finished. So like one of the bosses I fought gave me my esophagus back, <laughs> and but like the game basically says on the body part screen like yeah this is useless without the rest of your digestive system. Like you don't you don't get any benefit from having this until you have more of your digestive system back. Uh, let's see, Chaos CBC says watch the recent Dodo anime recently started good but turned out great. I actually really like that anime. It's, it very much does its own thing with the material and also re reduces the number of demons by about thirty five. But uh, that was probably for the best for pacing reasons. But yeah, yes. Dororo is one of Tezuka's like weirder properties, but um, it also means that adaptations tend to feel uh, very free about making strange alterations to it, so I tend to find the adaptations of it pretty interesting. I'm sure he would have approved. So he was very much a kind of a loose guy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that's kind of the more interesting stuff I've been playing. Oh, also I finally played Delta Ring. That's an actual RPG. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, How's that? Uh, very good. Uh, chapter one feels very simple, uh, but it does a good job of setting up the story. And chapter two, which I'm not finished with yet, but I've made decent progress in, seems to have added uh, some interesting wrinkles. Because, like, uh, the, the crux of Deltarune chapter one, and I'll try to avoid spoiling it since it, other people like me might have been waiting for more of it to be out to start playing it 
uh, is sort of that uh, you still have like the Undertale style like combat of your you've got your little heart that is being attacked by like bullet hell uh, patterns. Uh, they've actually added another element of bullet hell that didn't exist in Undertale. For those uh, less familiar with the genre, there's a term uh, used in it called squeezing. Is that when you have to try and get as cl- um, get the bullets as close to yourself as possible and you get point bonuses? Yeah, it's sort of like that, but in uh, under t- in Delta Rune, the way that it works is that uh, the more that you sort of graze and squeeze, or whatever term you want to use, uh, against the bullets, it, it restores your MP. Uh, because some of your party members actually can cast spells. Uh, oh, and you have a party now. But uh, certain party members can do different, uh, like, negotiation tactics in battle, which means that uh, they can make it much easier to spare other, uh, to spare enemies. But the other gimmick is that, at least for large portions of the first chapter, you have someone in your party who is absolutely uninterested in sparing people. So you now have... uh, the wrinkle that one of your options in battle is to warn your opponents that that person is about to attack to keep them from getting killed. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. In general, uh, I don't think it's actually possible for anyone in Chapter 1 to die. I'm not sure. I, I didn't put that to the test because I was you know, not trying to get anyone killed, but like, I think that they'll mostly just get like sent out of battle uh, because... Uh, as one character so politely puts it right at the beginning of chapter one, your choices don't matter. Uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting, and chapter two uh, makes it clear that it is still going to reward you for being pacifist, because uh, chapter two introduces this idea of a, like, uh, a town that is being built up, and characters are brought to the town by being spared in battle enough times. Hmm. So, and it, like, it reads your data from chapter one, so if you've been sparing repeatedly in chapter one, then your town will already be relatively populous compared to what it could be if you were not sparing people in chapter one. Hmm. So, but yeah, like each, certainly chapter two is a huge increase in terms of, like, mechanical density and sort of, like, uh, more traditional RPG elements than existed in Chapter One, so I'm I'm very interested in seeing where the later uh, paid chapters go. But Chapters One and Two are both free and definitely worth playing. A lot of great music, a lot of charming, uh, same like charming writing style as uh, Undertale, uh, but with some you you can tell that uh, that uh, Toby Fox both has more experience and more money now because uh, there's generally like a lot more like bespoke sprite animation that is very charming looking a lot of good uh, new gimmicks art direction uh, yeah just a very impressive effort thus far I'm interested in the succeeding apparently five planned chapters or I should say there are seven total planned chapters so five succeeding planned chapters from one and two and that's me. That's what I've been playing. Yay. 
They're all weird. Recommended. Oh. What's the name of the first game again? Uh, Mizerna Falls. Thank you. How do you spell Mizerna? M-I-Z-Z-U-R-N-A. Oh, okay. But yeah, it's a... Uh... It's, it's a very strange game. Uh, has some interesting... Like, you don't often see uh, PS1 games with enough of a camera to speak of to sit, comment on their cinematography. But there's some decent cinematography in Zona Falls as well. So I wrote about it for the for my Patreon. But that article will probably be going up next Tuesday. Yay. That's, a, that's one of them pre-plug plugs. But yeah, I guess we should probably get to questions. Do we have questions? Okay. Uh, well, we've got well, we've of course got uh, good old uh, the list. Yeah, we've got the good old list. But... I don't think we actually have uh, anything commenting on the previous. Um, nothing on the previous three episodes. Of and I think the one item that was in the uh, Discord forum, I think you already talked, I think you already answered in there. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw it in here just sort of for clarity's sake. Plotty uh, M3 asked uh, what the status of the Persona 2 Innocent, uh, Eternal Punishment PSP fan translation is. And I was forced to say uh, about, about what it was last year, which is uh, still a passion progress. No word on when it'll be done, but they have shown that they have successfully inserted English text into it, so it seems to be making progress. That's good. Yep. Okay. Uh, and we have a question held back for Gaijin from the big questions, number 51. Mm-hmm. Which is the weirdest concept, uh, concept made into a game recently. Um, Snack World. Yeah, what's that level one. five joint? Yep. That was that was level five. That was one, their most recent multimedia endeavor. Yeah, it was one of those ones where it's like they they do this uh big they they do this kind of game. It's like well this uh this will be a multimedia franchise unless it bombs, in which case it will stop being a multimedia franchise. Yeah, it's got video games, manga, anime series, toy line, multiple toy lines actually. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't sure how well Snack World had done, but I, I assume by now it's kind of run its course. Yeah, I mean it's still kind of around, but yeah, um, like yeah, I mean the enhanced version got sold, got put on, or got released last year in America. Oh so. yeah, that did happen. Yep. But yeah, um, it's and it's technically a roguelike, I guess. Someone's a not me, but maybe we maybe we also need more snacks in this one. I mean, I have it. I haven't really played too much of it. Yeah. Hmm. Um. But yeah, it, I mean, it's a fantasy world that's focused around convenience stores, smartphones, and and uh, snack food. So. That's extremely uh, zeroing in on what children in Japan are familiar with. Yep. Um, but otherwise, weird stuff in Japan. Weird stuff in games. I mean, how do you define weird stuff in games? 
Yeah, I mean, the more the, you know, the longer game history goes on, the more it's like, well, someone did that once before. <laughs> At least once before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, let me think, let me think. And if, and if not Japan, then America. Um, mm. yeah, okay, I mean, we have Sushi Strikers. Oh, yeah, that was an interesting one. That was American. <laughs> yep. It's kind of neat, though. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Hard to say what... I mean, what, what would you think is the weirdest? Is it because uh, I'm a little too close? If it has to be to something history. recent, I suppose? Uh, I mean, he did say recent, which is the real sticking point here for me. Yeah, because I mean, like, you know, the, these sorts of things, like, yeah, people don't spend as much on weird shit as much anymore. Just because, like, no, we spend too. It's a lot more expensive to make a game, so. Mm hmm. Uh, chaos. I mean, um. Okay. I mean, uh, Onion Games has just put out Mono More, or is going to. Oh yeah, yep. And they're, and it's looking seriously like they may be trying to do a remake or a remaster of Tulip too. Oh, that would be great. That yes, it would. It certainly fit the question. The yeah, game. bring back, bring back Tulip. Oh, I should, I should also bring up uh, yeah, CBC. Uh, it says, level 5 PS2 titles were so good, what happened? Their entire business model shifted. They became, uh, they went from being the company that makes, uh, like, very, uh, carefully constructed, if somewhat, uh, perhaps too safe JRPGs to making games that are designed to launch multimedia franchises. And doing a remarkably good job of it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, up until, like, that's always the problem. Like, uh, once that business model fails, you suddenly have, like, a huge contraction in business. Yep. But, I mean, for, for a while they had... For, like, a decade. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, for a while, for a decade. I mean, yeah, they had Inazuma 11 going for however long it did. Um, for a while, that was running concurrent with Yokai Watch. Yeah, and Yokai Watch, too. I mean, that's... That's two ridiculously huge series that actually managed to rival Pokemon. Yeah. And you cannot find many game developers that can claim that. Mm -hmm. Or anything close to that. Or even half of a half of that. Mm. So. And but then, then the wheels sort of came off. No, I mean, the... Their two their two flagship series aged out, and they have they've been scrambling to try and replace them. Yeah, like trying to find something to like yeah. fill the void. I mean, Nina Kuni and Fantasy Life were both good, but they weren't series makers. Yeah, <laughs> you couldn't I'm launch an entire it. like you yeah. couldn't launch a huge multimedia empire off of those franchises. Yeah, and uh, Snack World apparently did really really well for the two or three years that it was high. Yeah. So, so, so didn't the have the longevity afloat. of either of those. Yeah, I mean, he's still afloat. 
there's still a dedicated fan base of like four to five hundred people petitioning for a switch a switch release of Ushiro every <laughs> single week on the Famitsu what are you w- waiting for lists I'm, I'm not even joking it's like I mentioned this last year but it's literally been every single week that I have seen this list number two the number two spot is going to be Ushiro or switch everything else to be determined like four to five hundred votes every single time <laughs> Those, those people are probably the people that were looking forward to it when it was a PSP game. Yes. Um, but I, mean, I don't. I don't know what they'll do if it ever actually sees release. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's all about a, a Shinigami, so they'll probably just die. I mean, and to Fukuoka's main soccer stadium. Yeah. So. Um... They're at least able to keep up, um, keep up the uh, rent on that Payment option. On that, yeah. And I mean, let's be honest. Level five stadium sounds pretty cool, anyway. Mm-hmm. Was, Better uh, than, uh, actually, never mind. Yahoo Dome sounds pretty interesting too, as long as you don't realize it's about the. Yeah, if you don't know what it's what Yahoo it's named after, it sounds fun, and then you remember, oh, it's named after that Yahoo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's one of those things, like, it, their contraction was notable mostly just because of the, or, or at least um, was apparent to English speakers because uh, they, they like, made it clear that they were opening a U.S. branch for their localizations, and then that branch almost immediately shut down because of the, mm. like, downturn in business. Uh, and what happened yeah, to that? Yes, I watched. Um, I mean... Just the market's changed again, and mm-hmm. and level five's still trying to catch up again. So. Yeah. But yeah, I think they at one point had actually announced the Yokai Watch 4 US release, and then that just disappeared. Yeah, it was correct. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to have ripped open the band aid wheels. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, they they killed their uh, PS2 titles were so good, were they? No, uh, that was what uh, spawned this. And it's like they yeah. they weren't like I I would say that they are very well put together. Even if I think a lot of them are very safe, uh, I'd say their best PS2 work was Dragon Quest Eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. You can hit up something from the list. Uh, what are the chances that someone at Square Enix remembers Secret of Evermore to remake it? If that happens, is there any improvement we can bring from the Trials of Mana remake? I don't think anyone at Square Enix particularly remembers that uh, unfortunate little title in terms of... yeah. I mean, the, the best we can hope for is that somebody remembers it enough to bundle it with some other forgotten classics and yeah. sell it as a collection. And the best I could hope for as a um, like an improvement is to change how the weapon charging works. So that yeah. we, can, we can say that it's actually like a named attack or something just to, instead of just charging up power. 
and mm -hmm. that would at least give it a reason to have every weapon, every individual weapon of a type level up independently, instead mm -hmm. of a, uh, um, instead of a, a like a type level that Secret of Mana had. Yeah. Other than that, yeah. please, please bring us the game full of really random B movie references, from literally yeah. the very first line of the game. Yeah, it's real obsessed with that. Uh, I think Evermore was uh, being made by, I think that was made by like Square's very short-lived like Redmond Washington office. Yeah, I mean, it was think, definitely an American-made game. Yeah, I think it only survived long enough to make that game. That game's relatively uh, poor sales. Uh, like, I, I think the that game's relatively poor sales caused that entire studio to get completely crashed. But and I think that's that's going to be the real problem. It's just that it was primarily made by a subsidiary that only made one game and then kind of disappeared into the ether. There's not really anyone currently at the studio likely to champion for it to come back. Yeah. Things like Mana and Saga get remakes because there are people within the company that are absolutely willing to fight to get them to come back and there just doesn't want anyone like that forever if i feel like if it were to happen it would have to be uh sort of like the act razor remake that just happened where someone where an outside studio almost assuredly pitched it rather than a solicited pitch for a remake yeah and like i said if they just decided to grab all of their back catalog and just put it all together on a collection and see how much people would pay for it That'd be interesting, but yeah, it would have yeah. to be like on a broader collection of like, like mm -hmm. Square Enix Super Nintendo classics with things like Treasure of the Ruthless. Oh, that's the one I'm pretty sure they wouldn't try because. Oh, it wouldn't work, but I, I just mean as an example. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Front Mission Alternative, something like that. Yeah. The Front Mission sure would probably if... get its own collection. Now, I'm not sure if Evermore actually got a Japanese translation. Yeah, I don't know, which would also definitely hurt its chances. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, Wikipedia, for whatever that's worth, lists a Japanese release date as cancelled. Oh, wow. Uh, it may have been implied that... It may have been implied at some point in Japanese press that it was getting a Japanese release, but it definitely doesn't seem to have actually gotten one. Yeah. It actually got a PAL release. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it was already in English, might as well. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, it looks like the vast majority of people who worked on Secret of Evermore just ended up uh, moving on to other Seattle-based game studios. So. I don't know. Maybe I can go find one of them and ask <laughs> them. <laughs> Say what? Wow. The, the head artist was Romanian. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, there's just not a name one of the company that's going to fight for it. Uh, another one from the list. Is there any RPG or RPG light about playing as emergency workers? I've had fun with Burning Rangers. That is an EK. Mm. Uh, emergency. I can think of a lot of games that 
have you playing as like someone who handles emergencies, but I can't think of any RPGs. Because hmm. no, like when I think of I mean... things like this, I think of like the Trauma Center games or the Fireman Two, Pete and Danny. But I th I think Solitarovo had at least one side quest where you were doing something similar. Or... Yeah, you'll sometimes get side activities like that. Uh, I think there might be uh, some side activities like that in Steambot Chronicles as well. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it happening. I just haven't actually seen it happen. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, like, I think it usually ends up being in other genres than RPGs. On yeah. some level, you could argue that most adventuring parties are basically emergency workers, just <laughs> emergency workers in fantastical emergencies that have nothing to do with anything that's ever happened. Mm. But... Well, either that or they're causing the emergency. You can be the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Alcohol? Yes. Um, but yeah. Uh, now I'm just no, thinking no, about the no, amount no, of... Now I'm just thinking of Kung Fu Panda, one of the t TV series episodes. Hmm. It's like, and once again, you have saved us from a disaster that you actually caused yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Listen, we've all been there. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm now just thinking about every game that I can uh, that has you playing as a fireman. And I think I have a list of about five at this point. Hmm. Two of them are for the Super Nintendo for some reason. Well, just because, I, I mean, would... the Super Nintendo had enough games as it was, it was liable to be everything on there. Yeah, I just think it's very funny that, like, two of them are Super Nintendo games from 1994. Because hmm. there's the Ignition Factor, which I think might be available on, on Switch. It was definitely available on... Uh... Oh, yeah, but it's, the Ignition Factor is, in fact, playable on Switch now. Uh, but there's also the Fireman, which uh, I think might have had human entertainment involved. Yep, human entertainment. Was, uh... Yeah, yep, 1994. So yeah, there were. If you were a Japanese child in 1994, you had multiple firefighter games to pick from. Wow. The Fireman was... These were only released two months apart. <laughs> you could play the Fireman in September and the Ignition Factor in November. Wow. Uh, that's kids, Matt. Uh, let's see. There's a Sega CD FMV Fireman game that's name I'm not recalling. Uh... I think it's just called Fahrenheit. Uh, but it's just an FMV game, so no one should ever play it. There's the Fireman 2 on PlayStation 1995, which, as I have mentioned, is called the Fireman 2 colon Pete and Danny. <laughs> and then Konami had a largely forgotten PS2 uh, firefighting game called Firefighter FD18. Has if if you've never seen it, please go watch the cutscenes on YouTube because they're incredibly dumb sounding, and feature at least one point where a character remarks that this fire seems so angry. <laughs> so that's uh that's worth seeing at least once. Uh, 
yeah, there's there's my quick uh, rundown of firefighter games aside from the mentioned the mentioned within the question burning rangers. Uh, uh, I just I miss the PS2 sometimes. It was definitely the what's right over here the Cambrian explosion of the industry. Yeah, everything everything that couldn't keep going died out. Yep. I'm thinking about other weird human entertainment games because, like, the Wikipedia article for the Fireman brought up SOS. Um, which, let me see if I can. Find, like, I don't think this actually came out. Uh, I don't think this actually came out in the US. Uh, but. Oh no! It it did it did. Uh, it was called in Japan. It was called Septentrion, but it was a very strange uh, game about escaping a sinking ship. It's an odd name uh, to give it, Septentrion. Yeah, game is set in 1921, and the player must escape the sinking ship Lady Crithania, which gets hit by a gigantic wave and is capsized. And, like, the entire game is sort of built around, like, the one, a time limit. Hey, hello, uh, future developers of Mizarna Falls. And two, the, like, the, slip sh the ship slowly capsizing, causing the level to rotate via Mode 7 effect. Very strange game. Human Entertainment was weird. Everyone go play some weird old Human Entertainment game. There's bound to be something that doesn't quite work, but is at least interesting enough to you to try. Oh man, they made the the NES Skeleton Island game incredible. Uh, okay, I'll I'll stop with that. Uh, let's see. Here's one that is a bit more philosophical we might be able to sink our teeth into. Is there any merit or fun to the feeling of being lost in an RPG and just meandering around? Uh, I don't think Elder Scrolls would be as popular if there was. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like, it really, like, I feel like uh, how exciting it is to be lost in a game depends upon how much its environment is interesting to explore regardless of whether you're fulfilling a goal. I remember this one editorial I thought about writing years ago was actually related to the Pokemon games mm -hmm. about the importance of the of the sense of interminability. Mm -hmm. Like the first, I mean, like the first time you go through a cave or tunnel or whatever in Pokemon, it has to feel like you're always like one step away from getting completely wiped out. And even though it turns out to be like the shortest place ever and why were you ever scared of it to begin with? But the initial feeling has to be like, you're not sure how long this tunnel is and mm. you have to explore as much of it as possible. And, um, but at the same time, the second, third or fourth times you go through it, it has to be a, like just the easiest thing ever. It has to be very quick because like, you don't want to be spending a ton of time. <laughs> yep. And so you end up with this really weird, um, balance to set between, Oh no, this is 
this looks so oh this feels so dangerous yay and oh good i can get through this easily now yay mm -hmm. and it's a very difficult balance to make yeah you kind of like you know it's, it's a lot to deal with and it, it always depends on the design goals of the game there are games where it's not fun to get lost because that is not how the game is intended to be played or structured mm -hmm. uh, but i mean like if you make a game that is built around exploration, like I'll bring up something that I played early this year and that has shown up repeatedly. Kingsfield is all about getting lost. You wander around these like strange, ominous environments and like sort of just drink in like the weird atmosphere. And, uh, you know, if they're, if you just, uh, if it was, obvious where to go and what to do, the game would not actually be very interesting. <laughs> uh, it's it's that sense of overcoming a hostile environment uh, that gives the game satisfaction. And so without the satisfaction of overcoming that hostile environment, there just isn't much to the game. So it kind of has to at least give the impression of being uh, very frustrating to navigate, even though like over time you will find ways to quickly get from place to place. Uh, Sounds like a lot of the basic design philosophy of a Metroidvania. Oh, it definitely has a lot of that, yes. Um, you got any opinions on this, Wheels? No. <laughs> You're too busy slaying the spire. I am slaying... Well, I just failed to slay the spire. You were just so slain by the end. spire. But... Yes. Yeah. Uh... Probably go quickly through this next one because I don't think any of us actually played the first one of this. Uh, what would you want to see in the upcoming Blue Reflection sequel? Uh, yeah, I, I did not play the first. Good one, so music. I, I heard that the music was good the first time. I yeah, well, I mean it's a gust game, so that's what you want. You want really good music. Yes, very much so. So I mean, gust game, so nice, pretty graphics, nice music. Uh, let's hmm. let's get some interesting something else in there. Um, Maybe a nice relaxed vibe. Although I think that's more of an earlier thing than a blue reflection thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God, one of these. Uh, questions uh, includes one of my uh, reminded me of one of my favorite uh, weirdly titled games that, that'll come up uh, next question anyone find it weird the Xbox 360 got so many Japanese uh, exclusive bullet hell games uh, there are a few reasons for that the first of them is that the kind of person who buys bullet hell games would find would buy the system they were on to play them Second, it was probably cheaper to release them on 360, and the third, it was probably cheaper to port them to 360 than PS3. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I was going to say the the old Japanese bullet hell, um, I can't really call it industry, but um, passion projects were all originally PC. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, it was a huge part of the PC games market back then. So, the the way I heard it was that a lot of the designers went or developers went to Xbox because it was easier to adapt to the console's architecture than anything else. Yeah, you could PC. just. It had a more PC like architecture than especially the yeah. PS3, so you got a lot of 
and and so um and, yeah and so the shmup market was about the only thing that xbox actually managed to corner in japan the longest yeah time. this is also it's, why you will often find that uh Japanese bullet hell shooter developers were also prone to releasing games in one other genre. Visual novels were also very PC market. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, leading to one of my favorite uh, bizarre choices ever made by anyone. Uh, Cave released a visual novel for the Xbox 360 called Instant Brain, which is one of my favorite video game names ever. I like it. Uh, but Instant Brain uh, contained a port of their shooter Dodonpachi with Kinect support. <laughs> okay. Is, if you have ever seen any bullet hell shooter, you realize what a fool's errand that was, even yeah. just conceptually. Wow. But yeah. Instant Brain was there for you. <laughs> if you ever wanted to play an impossibly hard bullet hell shooter game with absolute Absolutely, <laughs> with absolutely no decent controls. Uh, but yeah, you can you kind of learn a lot about uh, the kind of company that was releasing games on 360. When you see, oh, Cave, they made a visual novel that contains a part of a bullet hell shooter. Yep, that explains it. Uh. But yeah, also I, I really just wanted to bring up the name Instant Brain because I think it's incredibly funny. It's um, fantastic. Let's see. Uh, can we talk about when game when non-game companies try to jump into the game market? Anyone with the Mattel hyperscan? Buddy, you don't even want to know what I'm about to like bring up. Oh no. oh no. Hey, let's all talk about the Casio Loopy. The what? What now? What? The Casio Loopy. It was uh, let's see, was that like it was like late nineties, I think. Mid to late nineties, it appears. Casio Loopy was a uh, video game console developed uh, made by Casio that was primarily aimed at like twelve-year-old girls, and came with like a printer that like was meant to thermally print stickers. Huh. Uh, absolutely. Uh. Basically, nothing came out for it, as often happens with these. Uh, but, you know, you could play uh, things with names like Bow Wow Puppy Love Story. So, you know. Wow. Yeah, Casio Loopy is one of my favorites of these weird things, but there's there's so many of these. I re like, the related concept that I really love is, like, the weird... Uh, games made uh, the weird consoles that are not technically they're not like pirate consoles like the dendy but they're like weird consoles that pirate game developers often ended up developing for as like legitimate releases because it's like well this is actually something made in like taiwan or something and they all have uh names like the super akan or uh the mega duck <laughs> i'm sorry the, the mega, mega duck, duck? Yeah, the Mega Duck. I appreciate that. Who made the Mega Duck? Was it uh, was that Watara? That wasn't Watara. Because uh, Watara made the Super Vision. <laughs> also, the Mega Duck was sometimes called the Cougar Boy. Okay. I can only assume that was an attempt to combine. Uh, I can only assume that was an attempt to combine Links and Game Boy. So it's like, oh, Cougar Boy. 
but yeah. Uh, if we want to talk actual legit companies that tried to... Remember the Panasonic Jungle? No. No. The Panasonic Jungle was something... Like, they were, they didn't actually release this. They announced it in, like, 2010. It was going to be their new handheld, and it was going to be primarily for playing MMOs. And uh, the entire thing was kind of an ill-conceived uh, concept, and they canceled it just as suddenly as they had announced it. Uh, claiming due to changes in the market. Uh, they yeah. paid attention to the market and realized it wouldn't sell. Yeah. Uh, the, the most amusing thing that happened was that I believe the URL where the announcement was contained was at something like welcome to the dot jungle. <laughs> Which, you know what? I mean, if you manage to secure that URL. Yeah. Absolutely, uh, like, nothing about it. Apparently, some games were announced to have jungle ports, and they were things like RuneScape and uh, Battlestar Galactica Online. I remember the existence of RuneScape. Guess what? It still exists somehow. Oh, God, why? Uh, because it, it's free, and no one has yet managed to stop it. That's a rhetorical question. I know why. Okay, fair enough. Uh, how do we feel about the Apple Pippin? Uh, the Apple Pippin. Yeah, the Apple Pippin was like a was a uh, multimedia console by Apple and Bandai in Japan. Uh, it did so find the time. Yeah, it was. Uh, if you wanna, yeah. if you want to find like an item that can like just encapsulate the utter failure of pre-return of Steve Jobs Apple, it's the Pippin. It is. It is a disastrously ill-conceived object, yeah. and not even uh, Bondi's only bad attempt at being into like the computer. Market. They also made the Bondi RX78, which was a Japan-only microcomputer from like 1983. I'm a big fan of the fact that their uh, entire thought process in marketing it is: we will give its model designation to be the same as the original Gundam. Uh, huh. Like within the lore of Gundam, the original Gundam is the RX78-2. So, I, I guess the Bandai RX-78 is the computer that went to Gundam. Is that bad? Is that good? Is that good? Uh, uh, war is hell, so becoming the Gundam is probably a bit. <laughs> but uh, like 20 total titles were released, and all of them are names. <laughs> but they all have names, because it's 1983, they all have names like Hamburger Shop and Excite Tennis. Yeah, like, the, the the weird consoles that no human being cared about or wanted are very much my uh, my wheel bit, where a company that makes actual systems will occasionally make like it should be a system from a company that doesn't know how to make games, like the Sega Pico, uh, which is like a weird edutainment system that Sega... It was, it's technically the last 
system that Sega was officially supporting, I believe. Uh, uh, yeah, I think the, the successor to the Pico, the absolutely bananasly named Advanced Pico Bino. <laughs> uh, what? On the mid aughts and has some Pokemon games on it for some reason. I successor to that. Yeah, no, that all yeah. Wow. <sighs> but, yeah. Sega. You wanna keep yeah, like I can keep going down these days. There's a lot of these. Uh and that's again before we get into like real wild what even is this? Uh but yeah. Uh <laughs> I'm a big fan of these a lot. Like the, these kinds of systems are why there was a great deal of mistrust at the idea of Sony getting into the game market when, before the PlayStation. Because uh, of electronics that attempt to make <laughs> video game consoles and then immediately beautiful dead ends. Uh, hubris. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful dead end hubris. Uh, but yeah, uh, it, it is also worth briefly running down the mentioned Mattel Hyperscan, which I think is a horrible, horrible microtransactions. Scan games announced at any point. Uh, but the truly incredible thing is uh, the Wikipedia page actually has, uh, as aside from the game itself, it also has a handy cost to get everything in the game. Because the, the gimmick of the hyperscan was that you would put uh, cards on it and they would have NFC technology to allow them to be scanned off of it uh, to, like, unlock shit in the game. Uh, and, like, the way that they tried to market these to parents, the card booster packs. And so Wikipedia has a handy, like, like, this is how much it would cost to get, at the bare minimum, every card in the set. So you get, like, this fucking uh, X-Men game that, oh, the game is $20. What a bargain. But 56 cards were released. So at the bare minimum, you're spending uh, like $90 in like booster packs, presuming that you got every card within the, like in the minimum amount of cards you would, you could possibly get it in. It's like, what the fuck? Hmm. Yeah, uh, that's the other reason these things tend to fail, is that they are often built around, like, even more profoundly consumer-hostile gimmicks than most, uh, video game consoles have, so. Early hit, yes. Uh, this is what happens when American game co toy companies try to make a game console. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. And, uh, as a last honorable mention, I will... Uh, bring up Bondi's third console, the Wonder Swan, and make uh, one last crack about how that was much more successful, but I'll never forget that uh, it was discontinued in like 2003, uh, right around the time that the first Dot .hack game came out, which contains an online, uh, an article online about how its successor, the Wonderhawk, has now become one of the most successful handhelds ever. <laughs> I will want a beauty of why the Wonder Swan was named as such. Uh, the Wonder Swan. Uh, Bondi chose the name of the system to highlight its uh, aesthetics and technical capabilities. 
the swans as, quote, an elegant bird with powerful legs, graceful swimming. So, you know. Okay. Very, <laughs> very, very interesting choice. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, do we want to hit, uh, do we want to get through question 60, I would say? I don't know what it is, but yes. Bring it sure. Up. Okay, well, these last two appear to be aimed directly down the middle from me. Uh, besides the obvious, like, Kataoki games such as Pocket Circuit, uh, Gaijin might know a bit more about Pocket, whatever. Uh, well, has anyone here ever actually done slot car racing? Because that's what Pocket Circuit basically is. <laughs> Not really. No. Okay, here's another one. How fun is how fun is actual? <laughs> well, I mean, depends. You got real money going on it, or what? Yeah, I feel like Mahjong is one of those games that's sort of like uh, casino games like Baccarat, where it's like the only thing interesting about the game is the fact that you have money riding on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Trying to think of other ones. I feel like punching people in an underground uh, cage is pretty fun. Uh, let's see. Disco dancing is fun. Go-karting is fun. I'm pretending I've done all of these. Uh, let's see. Uh, Lost Judgment just included skateboarding, so skateboarding is definitely fun. I think that that's been proven by science. Uh, Shoki is basically chess. Yeah, yeah, that's... A statement to really piss off certain fans of the game. <laughs> and yet, still kind of basically chess. Wow. Variant rules on chess. Like, doubling very, down. like, say what? Said you're doubling down. I mean, yeah, it's just like they're, it is a chess with some different rules. Like, you can use captured pieces, and I think some variants of Shogi have like a fog of war mechanic. But... That sounds annoying. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like, it is. Like, you will see plenty of the same pieces that do plenty of the same things. But, uh, let's think of other. Uh, I would imagine if you've got a lot of money going on it, uh, investing in real estate in 1980s Japan is very fun. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, running a cabaret club sounds thankless. I would not recommend it. Uh,. Curing uh, diseases with the power of an ancient martial art is extremely uh, satisfying. Recommended. Uh, How often have you done that? No comment. Um, <laughs> let's see. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of these. Uh, oh, hitting the batting cages. That can be fun, right? Course. Oh, here's one you could comment on. Wheels. Yakuza Three is a golfing game. Uh, golfing, golf is quite fun. Insanely frustrating, but fun. Golf is a good watch, spoiled. Um. Wow. See. They do one of the later games has like a weird. Uh, there's, a... there's a lot of these. Like, there's so many. <laughs> But, yeah. Uh, 
I think we've gone down most of the major ones, but yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I've ever met someone who has actually played a slot card game to bring up Pocket Circuit again. Hmm. Uh, I've, I've definitely seen it uh, simulated in a number of video games. Uh, it seems like there was probably a heyday of it in Japan, probably in the seventies and eighties. Yes, and that's exactly what they're going for with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a reason that Pocket Circuit showed up in Yakuza 0, which was an 80s period piece. And then in the remake of Yakuza 1, Yakuza Kiwami, uh, there is a subplot about the same, like, uh, like Pocket Circuit area being about to shut down because no child still plays it. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that game taking place in, like, 06. Um... Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I like, uh, it would be hard to get into a lot of these because, uh, some of the more iconic minigames are also things that, uh, are either very Japan specific or very important time. I think one of them has a fishing minigame. Does anyone here actually enjoy fishing? <laughs> no. Not particularly. Uh, I despise fishing minigames and fishing in general. Uh, that one's on the passable end of fishing minigames, so, eh. Uh, let's see. Do I have... Do we have any more of these? <laughs> I'm, like, just racking my brain for all of the minigames that have shown up in the series. There's so many of them. Uh, illegal drag racing is hella fun if you can manage it. Uh, That's true. See, now we're both incriminated. <laughs> um, especially if you have outrun tunes to play in the background. Mm -hmm. uh, it's true. We also play Splash Wave at some point in this episode. Splash Wave? Okay. Yeah, it's one of the outrun tracks. It's not the best outrun track. The best outrun track is Magical Sound Tower, but that's not the one they put in Yakuza 5. They put Splash Wave in there. Uh, let's see, Yakuza minigames. Uh, hang out in a bar uh, with your close associates and just uh, learning more about each other. Uh, I have never actually gotten drunk while doing it, but it's a good time. <laughs> let's see. Uh, oh, and playing old Sega games, I can confirm, is fun. Lost Judgment added in Sonic the Fighters. It's not a very good fighting game, but it's novel that it's there. <laughs> that game is bad. <laughs> it's novel that it's there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, can, you can play like that. The, the worst games on the, in that game are system games, actually, but you can play Woody Pop. Don't you want to play Woody Pop? I don't know what that is, but no. It's Arkanoid. It's Arkanoid with a wood theme. Oh, sounds terrible. Yeah. Uh, Chaos CBD uh, asks, how can you despise Breath of Fire for fishing? Wheels, I need you to shut up right now. And, uh... Fire 4 is a bad game. that I have not played much of Breath of Fire 4. Um, yeah, me neither. It's probably fine. Yeah. 
That's why I said I need you to shut up right now. Okay, <laughs> question 16. Some Yakuza features beat. Uh, I think you would have to rethink it enough that it would be a themed fighting game. Like, beat em ups and fighting games have a lot of similar concepts and DNA, but I mean, you don't gotta balance a beat em up the way you gotta balance a fighting game. And honestly, uh, I think the heat action in Yakuza would be over in a fighting game match. I mean, like, I, I don't think... I, I think that it would need to be reworked so much that you wouldn't recognize much of the initial... Like, you would just notice the characters and trappings rather than the uh, actual gameplay. On the other hand, the Kurohyo games, uh, which is what he's referring to with the PSP games, uh, do, in fact... were, in fact, made by uh, Sin Sophia, who, if you are not aware, are the current uh, earthly remains of good old Aki. Uh, Aki Corporation? Yeah. No. I miss them. Wheels remembers Aki Corporation because they uh, were the developers of games such as WWF No Mercy and Def Jam Vendetta. Some of the best wrestling games I've made. They used to be, they were former human entertainment developers. <laughs> All comes back to human entertainment this this week. I would also like to point out that in Japan, uh, not in Japan, but in Japan, Aki is known as Sin Sophia. Uh, But before being called Aki, they briefly based the man, which is one of the most incredible names. Please let us all contemplate the dearly departed name, the man. Sure. Uh, it's not bad. Consider the man. Also, you can tell that uh, that Aki was originally essentially an offshoot of Human Entertainment because uh, their first WCW game has a uh, gigantic roster of quote-unquote um, fictional wrestlers who are all, uh, who Wikipedia has helpfully labeled all of the ones that they are obviously based off of. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay, so the guy who sold Japan for a few years was reasonably popular in New Japan, as I recall, uh, called Scott Norton. Uh, briefly wrestled in the U.S., for, but was never really popular here. Point is, uh, he's in one of these WCW games, uh, where he has been fictionalized, and his fictionalized name is Billy Gaijin. <laughs> uh, huh. You know. Is this Billy's boot camp guy? No. No, not so much. Okay. But yeah, I was just very amused by the name Billy Gaijin. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh... It's possible to make a Yakuza fighting game, but it requires completely rethinking the fighting system, which is true of just about everything. I mean, Tales of Versus doesn't play like a Tales of game, and I haven't played East versus Trails Alternative Saga yet, but I doubt it plays much like an East game or a Trails game. Also, that's getting a fan translation, which is maybe not just... That's right. Uh... East versus Trails in the Sky, Alternative Saga. By the time people listen to this, we'll probably have a fan translation out. Done by the people whose fan translation is soon to be published. 
for the Legend of Heroes 7 games. So, a good a, a fan translation team with a good background. Yeah. And that game is pretty okay. Alternative Saga? Yep. I didn't realize any human being had ever played that. I have. Of course you have. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that's all the questions we should be doing tonight. Has anyone got other news they want to bring up, or should we get to the plot? Uh, was there any news this week? Did things happen? Uh, I'm sure no. something happened somewhere. I don't know, I get nothing. No? Yeah. Then, let's move on to this before I fall asleep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Gaijin. plug. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, right. Okay, so, yes. Uh, this week in Q&A Quest brought to you by Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited in episodic ebook format or paperback collection format. Um, if you enjoy tabletop gaming, uh, people playing tabletop gaming, somebody besides you playing tabletop gaming, and the visceral thrill of somebody rolling really, really badly, um, then check it out. You might enjoy it. Thank you. Those are available Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Yes. yes. Please leave a kind of Um, let's see. Uh, um, you can check us out streaming on Sundays. Uh, it was f the show formerly known as Sunday Night Neptunia that's now going to have a new name and will not be tied to only Neptunia DVD. games. We all realized that it was going to chip away at its sanity to play yes. Neptunia games every Sunday. So it's going to be Sundays with random nonsense of some variety, and then we will continue to play fighting games afterwards. Um, with Sora coming up, I imagine we're going to be doing more Smash in the near future. So check that out. And I, of course, stream random things. Check that out. That's it. But, uh, in which case, we stream at some other time of the week, but that's kind of hard to deal with. But yeah, every Wednesday, usually around 8.30 Pacific, 11.30 Eastern, uh, on the RP Gamer channel where you can watch many fine streams by many people that are not us. Uh, also, uh, I still have a Patreon. It's still at patreon.com slash study. That's still not changing. That's still bad. If you wanted to hear more of me rambling about Missouri Falls, that'll be happening sometime soon. Uh, let's see. I've also recently done... Uh, Actually, I think that's going to be next Thursday, not next Tuesday. I'm kind of trying to keep a Tuesday-Thursday uh, based uh, updates to that. All those updates are free, but of course, I'm very pleased to any and grateful to anyone who chooses to support me monetarily. Uh, let's see. Otherwise, what else we got? Let's see. Uh, uh, I mean, I guess to advertise what most recently would have gone up as of this recording, it would have probably been me ranting about uh, how not all Japanese adventure games are visual novels. Please know the difference. So, uh, they're not? They're not. I'm intrigued. 
you shouldn't be. But uh, <laughs> I already read it, by the way. <laughs> oh, I should have known. Also, you shouldn't have, but thank you. Uh, but yeah, uh, so th so that's uh, that's what I've been up to uh, on that. As for our actual, uh, our fine uh, RV gamer compatriots, you can ask us questions for the record. Uh, they can go in the uh, chat of any given stream. Uh, thanks again to uh, Chaos CBC and Budai and uh, Funetman for joining us tonight. Uh, thanks again to. Uh, Let's see, I think would I ask a question at least? Yeah, would I ask a couple questions? Chaos CVZ asked a couple questions. Uh, so thanks to them, and thanks again to Fireminer for our long list of questions that keeps us, uh, that gives us the fuel to keep podcasting. Uh, if you would like to join them, you can join in the chat, or you can send us questions via the Discord. Uh, Yes, RP Gamer has a Discord. It has a lovely community. You should join it even if you don't intend to ask us questions. You can get there by going to rpgamer.com and clicking the community tab, which will give you which will give you an invite to the Discord. Uh, as for other uh, as for other options, you can also put them in the comments section underneath any given episode. We try to keep track of those at least through the last three episodes. So as long as the episode is was uh, put up within the last month. We'll probably find any questions put there. Uh, otherwise, uh, see you, Space Cowboys. See, see you, Space Cowboys. Peace. Peace.